Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum's weekly webinar series. My name is Sam Westrop. I am the director of its Islamist Watch uh, program. I'm delighted to be joined today by Hannah Baldock, a journalist and counter-extremism researcher, most recently with the London-based Henry Jackson Society. Uh, she holds a BA in Modern Languages from Cambridge University and a postgraduate diploma in journalism from City University, London. And Hannah has written very interestingly in recent weeks on, and, and months on the promising development of new reformist strains within British Islam, as well as the threat, the problem posed by extant Islamist forces, which have been around for decades and continue to enjoy legitimacy and recognition from the media and from policymakers. Um, we're here to discuss that question, to discuss why the British media in particular continues to empower Islamists and legitimize them as representatives of British Islam, and to ask what the solution might be. Hannah, hi, thank you so much for, for, for joining us. If I could start off, um, can you very briefly, for a primarily American audience, explain who are the people, what are the groups that British media turn to when they want comment from British Muslims? Oh, yeah, uh, Hannah, you're on mute, I believe. Apologies, yeah. Um, since around about, about 1989, when at the time of the um, Salman Rushdie affair, um, Islamist factions who had um, that work of literature and had made their voices heard very loudly in the public square at that moment for the first time, um, mobilised and, and formed the core of what became the Muslim Council of Britain. Um, we heard in 2014 in a review by the coalition government led by David Cameron of the Muslim Brotherhood's UK activities that that um, organisation, obviously a revolutionary Islamist um, uh, outfit, had been instrumental in setting up the Muslim Council of Britain, as well as um, the largest Muslim student organization, which is recognized to be FOSIS. Um, and the Muslim Association of Britain also became another front for the Muslim Brotherhood in the UK. And, uh, but it's the Muslim Council of Britain who have prevailed really as the go-to outfit, the first port of call for the British media and journalists um, when issues concerning Islam and Muslims arise, and um, they have ha they have been the best organised. They are an umbrella organisation for well, they claim to have five hundred affiliates, um, and a, a report in two thousand and sixteen by the Policy Exchange, you know, choosing our friends wisely, described them as an umbrella organisation for for Islamist groups. Um, but that 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 description hasn't really stuck to them. They have generally, um, well, they have set themselves up as voice for British Muslims and um, have crowded out um, other voices um, who would beg to differ from their um, world, which, which is it really rooted in sort of extreme orthodox patriarchal politics of um, South Asia, primarily. That's, that's who um, their affiliates are seen to. Um, I see. And, and I should just take this, this moment to remind our audience that there'll be a, a moment for questions at the end. So if you do have any during uh, this session, please use the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen and enter your question and I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll get to it. Um, 
Hannah, why did the NCB become this leading voice, though? What 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 led journalists to turn to the NCB, the Muslim Council of Britain, instead of other groups, maybe less radical ones? Um, well, they they um, uh, I think initially they were well funded. Um, they, uh, I mean, to one of their founder. Um, uh, Founding trustees and who, who confided in me that where well, he had parted ways with the Muslim Council of Britain because he'd found them to be sectarian and extreme. He did say they had had a lot of uh, help from uh, rich sponsors in the Gulf to set up, and they began to produce very um, polished press releases and statements uh, in a very timely fashion. And um, I think initially hoped that they could act as a bulwark against. Uh, Extremists. They've always condemned um, Islamist violence in the UK, although they haven't done so um, in, outside of, they haven't condemned um, similar um, violence that you might see in Israel, for example. Um, but they have, um, they seem to be, um, you know, they, they, they were seen to be people that the government could work with and um, people that had a, a, um, a large constituency of, of supporters um, and that they could uh, help the government sort of deconstruct what the problems seemed to be, um, the, the problems that were um, inciting the, the violence um, that we've seen uh, over the last several decades um, from Islamist extremist groups. I see. And I believe in your piece recently for Focus on Western Islamism, you mentioned that the government at times has acknowledged the Islamist roots of the Muslim Council of Britain, um, and indeed that, that it continues to present a problem when it comes to matters of extremism. So if this is the case, why does the media still turn to the Muslim Council of Britain with the knowledge that they are empowering an Islamist group. Is there, is there a willful disregard of the threat that Islamism poses? I mean, it is it's baffling, really. I mean, there's, particularly since um, Sajid Javid, for example, who's the Muslim, uh, uh, who was Chancellor at the time, uh, he, he was um, standing to be leader of the Conservative Party back in 2019. Um, he said, I would, be very suspicious of what the Muslim Council of Britain has to say. You know, we don't deal with them and we haven't since 2009 because of uh, links that they've had to extremists. You find me a group of Muslims who is represented by the MC, he said. Um, and uh, nevertheless, I think um, there's, there's um, I think the person who sounded up best for me was Pragna Patel, who runs an outfit called Southall Black Sisters, which defends minority women's rights. Uh, she said um, that it's possible to fight racism and fundamentalism at the same time. I don't seem to get it. Uh, she says there's, there's a, there's a, the Muslim Council of Britain have very successfully um, portrayed themselves as the Muslim community as, as a community which is um, the underdog. It's constantly uh, in danger of um, experiencing a racist backlash and being tarred with the same brush as uh, extremists. Uh, so trade the prevent counter-extremism strategy as uh, an assault on 
civil liberties of the of, of, of Muslims and uh, and the Sultan their free speech. So it's, it's actually deflected and denied really that Islamist ideology even exists or is a problem, and it has con consistently conflated uh, Islam and Islamism, uh, and to the point where I think editors and producers who, who really should have done research um, on this very pressing matter, which is rocking the Western world, um, they haven't been confident of their own convictions in, in, in uh, distinguishing Islam from Islamism. Uh, and um, and they have they have been um, there's been a lot I think uh, they talk of um, post Iraq post Afghanistan invasion guilt that the um, the, the, the the doubt that possibly extremism is a blowback from the, these foreign policy um, mis some would call them mistakes or um, ill-fated excursions into the Middle East and um, I think they have. Um, let themselves be um, let, let let the seeds of doubt be planted in their minds that um, whether Islamist Islamist ideology is is to blame for um, these these attacks and uh, the, the the motivations behind them. Interesting. And is this a portion of the media, perhaps more on one side of the spectrum, or is this a problem across the board? Well, it has become a problem across the board because, um, I mean, the, the 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 BBC, for example, which is obviously the UK's um, flagship media uh, outlet, uh, it's the most watched. It's the most watched internationally, um, and it has, on several occasions in recent years, invited um, talking heads onto onto the sofas of Morning Britain or um, uh, this morning that's on ITV, but. I mean, it's, for example, Boris Johnson got into some hot water when he wrote an opinion piece about the burqa ban in Denmark. Um, he said he wouldn't, he, he wasn't in favour of one in the UK. But he did, he didn't think that. Um, essentially, his argument was he didn't think it was um, really very appropriate or necessary to to wear a niqab on the streets of Britain. And um, the BBC invited. Um, Sahar Al-Faifi to, to debate this point, um, who was billed simply as a woman who's covered her face since she was 14 on one hand, and she was billed as Muslim Council of Britain on the other. Um, Al Jazeera Arabic described her quite differently. He said that she was um, a known Islamist, well, a member of the Saudi opposition, a follower of uh, the picture Safar Al-Hawali who's a, the author of a book, Muslim Western Civilization, in which he refers to the West as the enemy, supports terrorist acts regardless of the effects on the communities, believes Muslims have a religious duty to support jihadists. Um, uh, Guido Fawkes looked on her Twitter feed, saw pictures of um, um, Hamas leaders in the open top, top cavalcade, um, in which she was wishing them a mighty victory, and the Muslim Brotherhood salute. <laughs> They were making the Muslim Brotherhood salute. So, a, a producer had the British public was being. She went on to run for the Welsh Senate um, on the back of the huge publicity she garnered from her appearances on, on Good Morning Britain, uh, until she finally more anti-Semitic anti tweets were un unveiled and she was suspended from um, Plath Cymru, the Welsh Nationalist Party. But all of this is, is has and this has happened time and time again, um, where. Um, the British public has been invited to listen to 
representatives of the Muslim Council of Britain or its political lobbying office mend um, and without any knowledge of, of who they're listening to or you know what 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 their worldview might be and essentially it's always been to portray any doubts about um, Islamic practices or doctrines as as uh, based on ignorance Islamophobia and um, uh, prejudice so it's there's been a very um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's become a very murky um, um, picture for uh, the general public trying to understand really what's, what's going on. Fascinating. And is there a role played here by foreign Islamist powers, foreign Islamist states? Um, we've all seen how, for instance, the Qatari regime uses media in the West to great effect. And I'm thinking of things like Al Jazeera and, and Middle East Eye and so on. Um, does this have an effect on the way British journalism covers uh, 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 Islam and Islamism in the West? Um, well, I think I think um, I think journalists often find that they um, that there were there were several journalists who were very diligently covering um, Islamist groups and their activities. One of whom was Andrew Gilligan. He then went on to become a transport um, minister. Uh, in a conservative government, but um, uh, there have been others um, uh, who have uh, made, made documentaries, and um, uh, Andrew Norfolk has, has done quite a bit for the Sunday Times. And I know a lot, various of them have had to have experienced, um, uh, they've been sued, and they have been. Uh, the the criticisms they've made have been um, hotly contested. Um, I think some of the the group, the some of the Islamist-led groups in the UK have been using um, very expensive lawyers like Carter Brock, who charged a thousand pounds an hour um, to bring libel suits. Well, it's now seen as really using lawfare to, to sort of silence criticism. And um, there's been speculation as to who, you know, who might be, who, who might have the deep pockets to help them pay for these, um, uh, these very sort of defensive libel actions, sometimes preemptive libel actions. And um, I mean, I think that there has been, I think you yourself at Focus on Western Islamism have, have uncovered a lot as, as regards um, uh, support from Qatar, for example, for um, some Islamist groups in the UK, and I think they have also. Some Islamist groups have contributed to um, IPSO guidance, the guidance of the UK press regulator on reporting on Islam and Muslims. They've contributed to a definition of Islamophobia, which uh, was widely adopted in 2019. Um, just Despite the opposition of counter-terrorist experts, um, women's groups, minority rights groups, who said it um, failed to distinguish between uh, criticism of Islam and anti-Muslim hatred. And um, so there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors. And uh, I think um, um, the, the best, the best, the best indicator of of, um, of, of how for Gulf, Gulf states may be supporting these groups is just how deep their pockets are, how many people they employ, how slick their, their um, media campaigns are, which, which continue to be 
quite relentless um, and the counter extremism, and the counter prevent campaigns, the Islamophobia Awareness Month every every year, which is which obviously they have every right to raise issues over genuine uh, discrimination, prejudice, intolerance, but um, it's the it's the it's, it's the ref, the refusal to ever look inwards and um, discuss the the possibilities of um, um, reform that might be needed within the Muslim community. And that's where these new uh, groups, which are coming onto the scene, like the Oxford Institute for British Islam, could be very valuable to the national debate. Okay. And, and then just lastly, before I head to some audience questions, uh, could you tell us about this new group then, uh, the, the OIBI and, and what its mission is and uh, why you hope it will replace groups like the MCB as the go-to voice for, for British media and policymakers? Yeah, so I think basically that the groups like the MCB and their political lobbying offshoot MEND and um, um, the, the groups that really garnered the, the media attention have and tried to dominate the discourse are predominantly sort of Sunni Islamist um, groups and um, Part of the criticism of the Islamophobia definition was that it didn't address any intersectarian hostility, which which has been seen very recently. For example, in the um, the, the attack on the free speech of a Shia um, Muslim um, film producer and writer who who saw their film banned from cinemas um, due, due to some mob demonstrations, um, and. Um, the OIBI has set itself out to be pluralist. Um, it, it was founded by Dr. Taj Hagi, he's a South African-born um, Muslim. He doesn't describe himself as any one sector or another. His mosques, he's got a mosque in Cape Town called the Open Mosque and another in Oxford, which welcomes um, people from all denominations, all faiths and none. And um, he's tried to create, um, he, he says they're passionately pluralistic. They want to um, just create a, an open forum, um, a debate that what they're very determined um, about is to counter um, divisive and uh, interpretations of Islam. They reject, well, they, they, they are sort of a Quran-centric, as they call it, outfit, where they're, they're, they're happy to debate um, verses of the Quran, which are, 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 um, have been deemed to be controversial, but they reject the Sharia and the fatwas, which they say are man-made, um, basically they reject, they think that they're man-made um, um, parts of Islamic doctrine, which are created by male clergy and designed to perpetuate their power, their power over um, women and, uh, the, and um, their predominant position in, in, um, in within, you know, Islamic, countries and um, so they want to just create a modern progressive forward-looking um, open and pluralistic um, British Islam as they call it um, which, which is um, aligned with what a lot you know is what the, the Muslim reform movement is a global coalition of, of Muslim reformers in fact one of their founders Osama Hassan is also um, a visiting fellow with the OIBI and um, they want to also just, I think, um, create a port of call for British Muslims who are caught, caught between, um, who are experiencing cognitive dissonance between their British identity and um, 
you know, which is pro, pro secular democracy and obviously pro individual freedoms and their Muslim identity, which um, they've been told in, in many mosques, you know, is, is at odds with um, those values. And um, I, think, I think it's caused a lot of, uh, um, it's caused a lot of um, heartache and identity crises for, for many young Western Muslims. And, and, and uh, the OIBI aims to theologically empower, as it says, young Western Muslims to um, reinterpret their faith in a way that's just more conducive with, with living in, in a Western world and in an open and free society and, a, and obviously a, a pluralistic society. I see. Now, um, we've had a couple of questions about uh, a new government in, in, in Britain and with the death of the Queen, uh, I imagine uh, Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister, will have her attention, like the rest of the country, firmly focused elsewhere for the next few weeks, if not months. However, Bill Baggett asks, what changes will there be under trust when it, when it relates to, to Islamism? And in fact, another questioner, Richard Cronenfeld, particularly asked, does trust have any influence on the BBC? Can we at least have the BBC take a more reasonable line when it comes to the question of Islamism? So yeah, so I suppose two questions really. Uh, one, what are your hopes for the trust government on the question of Islamism more broadly? And two, what about the BBC? Is it time uh, 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 that as a taxpayer funded service that the government imposed some sort of uh, 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 stricter rules on how the BBC covers Islam or Islamism? Um, Liz Truss, um, I'm not sure what her um, views on Islamism are. I know she was preoccupied with Ukraine, I think, as um, Foreign Secretary. I haven't heard her speak um, specifically about Islamism, but um, I would hope she would do, do more than Boris Johnson's government has done um, on it. It's um, interesting, I mean, Michael Gove, who, who was a member of Boris Johnson's government, had written a book on Islamism, well, Celsius 7-7, he'd written after the 7-7 the, um, attack. So it was surprising that he was, um, wasn't very proactive on, on this issue. Um, and um, I think obviously it was, because it is such a, a thorny issue, there's a political and cultural trap in truthfully identifying the problems, especially as the they, they voting constituencies um, grow, get larger in the Muslim community. But um, we'll have to just w watch the space with, with Liz Truss. I mean, she's obviously going to have a lot of domestic, um, um, very pressing domestic issues with a cost of living crisis. And, uh, um, and unless there's uh, and, and um, you know energy policy and and um, support for Ukraine, I think um, unless there's any fresh um, terror attacks or atrocities, um, um, we'll, we'll then we'll, that that'll be when we find out. But um, with the BBC, they have appointed a new director general, Tim Davy, um, who was um, I think appointed under the Boris Johnson government. The, the BBC had kind of a lot of heat for um, seeing um, alleged left-wing bias. Um, some, of their, some of the reporters they'd had who were particularly guilty of those types of lapses of uh, editorial impartiality, like Emily Maitlis of Newsnight, have gone. But again, they do need to, I mean, they had um, Roshan Sally of, of Five Pillars um, on, on Newsnight, BBC's Newsnight recently who um, 
debating, you know, the, the Our Lady of Heaven, this film that um, the Sunni Muslims had wanted banned. And she introduced his website as just um, a website popular with um, Sunni Muslims. Um, whereas, you know, if you look on Sarah Khan's, Sarah Khan, who was the commissioner for countering extremism, you know, has repeatedly identified five pillars as, as a supportive of, of key tenets of Islamist ideology, including physical jihad, you know, a caliphate, um, and, um, you, you, you know, death penalties for after states and so forth. And, and they, they, they shouldn't be, they need to, to, to start identifying Islamists as such and not just, um, and, and also identifying Islamist ideology as, as, a, as an ideology, sec, you know, hostile to secularism, um, democracy, Western social freedoms. These are not, uh, it's just, they, they do need to get a grip on this kind of cultural relativism where everybody's worldview is, um, um, is, is equally valid um, in, in, in terms of where this country is heading or should be, wants to be heading. But um, uh, I, I think, um, there's a learning curve for not just the BBC, but all of the media about Islamism as an ideology. It needs to become as well understood as, you know, communism, capitalism, um, all of the other, you know, as, it, as, a, as a sort of ideology cooked up in the 20th century, it's not a sacred, um, you know, spiritual um, project that we, we can't discuss. It is a, it's a 20th century political ideology which needs to be just deconstructed and debated um, uh, as rigorously, rigorously as possible, um, along with any other belief system. And they need to just uh, sort of start um, to start, well, basically realize that the, that the Muslim Council of Britain um, with its line of uh, narr narratives of grievance and victimhood and Islamophobia, um, they need to just, take it with a pinch of salt and then and <laughs> carry on to debate the issues um because really you know when we when we're having mps um sort of butchered in their constituency surgeries as sir david amos was last year we need to stop pussyfooting around the issues as, as dr taj argued the ibi would say um because it's reached a point where Elham Mania of the, of, um, the OI, she's a visiting fellow of the OIBI who wrote The Perils of Nonviolent Islamism. She talks about the huge pink elephant in the room um, of, of the ideology, which, which um, everybody knows is there but isn't discussing. And um, I think, well, hopefully, you know, gradually as the Muslim reformers and including the Muslim reform movement, We've done some great work in America, and I think um, are listened to by many um, interested parties over here. If we can help them gain some more traction um, and counter the Islamist narratives, um, you know, more and more editors and producers will hopefully cotton on. Um, mm. So um, I think we've got time for one more question, although I'll combine several. Quite a few have asked about, well, this is very interesting about the situation in the UK. Is this the same in mainland Europe? Um, just one, one question I ask particularly about the group CAGE, which is now focusing heavily on uh, France and uh, uh, being active there. So you, your, your expertise is obviously the UK, but do you consider the UK to be, and it's it, the media's relationship with Islamism in the UK, do you consider that to be, the UK to be particularly worse off or is this a problem across the Western world at the moment? 
No, well, it seems to me that, um, you know, Emmanuel Macron has, has grasped the nettle somewhat in, in France um, in, uh, last year, I think after the stabbing of the uh, Samuel Paty, um, the school teacher in the street, um, after he taught a lesson on blasphemy, which by the way happened, you know, was, was something similar happened in Batley in Yorkshire and a teacher is still in hiding who tried to teach a similar lesson on free speech using um, cartoons of the prophet, I think. Um, um, I think, no, I think that it seems that France has been quite proactive. Um, it's tried to get um, imams to sign a, a declaration of um, adherence to the values of the Republic, um, you know, free speech, tolerance of minorities and, and um, um, women's equality and so forth. I think it's actually basing a, a, a scheme to license imams only if they will declare an oath of allegiance to the values of the Republic. It's closed down quite a lot of um, mosques which were um, found to have hosted Islamist speakers. And um, I think it is now de developing a raft of laws to try and tackle the problem. I think um, Germany is, is doing um, quite a bit and Belgium. I think really the UK has been sitting on its hands rather with um, in terms of doing any taking any concrete measures um, to the, the, there have been several mosques who've, where um, there have been several documentaries, Undercover Mosque was made in 2008 or 2009, um, by very brave Muslim under, undercover reporters who, who went and um, filmed some of the sort of hate preaching that was going on in mosques. But um, one of the preachers in that film is still preaching at that mosque. Um, the result of that was that Channel 4 were sued by West Midlands police for sort of inciting racial hatred in a court case which they lost. <laughs> so um, it's, um, it's, no, it's, it's, it's been um, surprising how little, um, I mean, the government, the, the last, the government was considering banning groups like Hibs of um, but it hasn't done there. I think they are banned in some European countries. I think that the, their argument was that, um, it's better to defeat uh, extremist groups like this by um, debating them. But then, as, as Sarah Khan, the counter extremism commissioner, pointed out, unfortunately, nobody has. That <laughs> well, they've they've had a pretty um, long free run at, at um, with, with their narrative, and very few people have countered it. Uh, those who have, like herself, have been smeared as Islamophobes or part of the neo-Khan or Zionist conspiracy. Um, to do down Muslims, and so it, it's it's wonderful that um, that the OIBI and and other organisations, British Muslims for Secular Democracy, was another one um, who tried to stand up and counter um, the Islamist ideology, which which is not supported by the majority of British Muslims, and and as successive studies have shown, um, just they have had loud voices, they've had um, lots of funding, but they haven't got um, majority support from the British community, and, and that's what needs to be, um, you know, consistently repeated and aired. Understood. Well, uh, Hannah, I fear we've we've come to the end of our time here. So thank you so much for for coming on and explaining just a, a whole new world of Islamism to our audience. Uh, for those who want to to read Hannah's recent piece, it's at Focus on Western Islamism, uh, which is at Islamism News. Uh, Hannah, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I hope you. 
uh, we'll be able to work together in the future. And um, uh, for everyone else, uh, MEF runs a regular webinar series. So if you haven't already signed up on our mailing list to be alerted to future webinars, please do so at meforum.org. Thank you very much and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye.